Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth. And we have a lot to talk about this morning. It's Wednesday. I think it's still Wednesday. Is it still Wednesday? It's still Wednesday. And today is Wednesday, the 30th. So it's almost Halloween. Yeah, the countdown to Halloween. My kids are grown, so Halloween is party time. You know what I mean? People go out to parties now for Halloween. But uh, it's Wednesday, and we have a lot to talk about. It's something that has been trending across the news cycles and across all of us, uh, across our consciousness. If, if you're anybody and if you're anywhere on this planet, I know that everybody is thinking about the, the wildfires in California and what it means for people who are caught up in it. So I took the opportunity to read a New York Times article on what happens and how the California wildfires are highlighting the wealth gap, the gap between the very rich and the very poor. And I am telling you, like everything else in this country, America is getting closer and closer to a society built on money and class and a society where equality is less and less a factor. Because the more you realize it, the prices that we pay for goods and services, the prices we pay for food, the prices we pay for clothing, the prices we pay for our cell phones, the prices we pay, is highlighting a difference. It's creating a wealth gap. And and it's amazing because in former times, people went to work, you grew up, you went to work, you worked for 30 years, you got a salary, so you could be middle class. So you could buy a house, you could afford health insurance, you could afford car insurance, you could afford house insurance, but you didn't have a minimum wage job. You didn't have a job that paid you less than a living wage. You had a job that you could live, that you could save money pay off your 30-year mortgage, and, and have something for retirement. That has left and evaporated from the American system. That is no longer what America is like. After 2008, everything just went belly up and everything just went crazy. And when all the juggling was done, what was left was, boom, there is a gap between the very rich and the very poor. And so who are the very rich? Anybody who has over a million dollars cash in the bank is somebody who is rich, right? And so what we're seeing in California, have you ever wondered what happens to ordinary people who have a regular job where they earn $14, $15, $16 an hour and who have, uh, and who, have <laughs> who, who live in an apartment or they might own a little home, but they can't afford the extreme rates for fire insurance? Just think about it for a minute. I was an insurance underwriter for many years, for some years. And as an underwriter, one of the things you are required to do is to assess risk, right? And so you look at the risk and you determine if this is enough. Is this enough for people? Is this enough to how much is the insurance company going to make if they uh, underwrite this risk? How much the, we used to call it exposure. What is the exposure? The exposure just means if something were to happen, what would the insurance company do? And what we are finding now is that the insurance companies are looking at the California wildfires and they're like, I have to charge more because my exposure is greater because chances of a wildfire in California, especially in Southern California is way greater than say chances of a wildfire here in Michigan. We almost never have wildfires in Michigan because number one, we have rain most of the year. Number two, it just doesn't happen. We have a lot of water around the great lakes. 
that alone causes precipitation and that produces rain. So in California, they don't have lakes. What they have are sea, they have this big, great coast out there. And then the salt water is coming over the land. There, there's not enough vegetation on the land. So it's, 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 it's a, it, you know, it's a breeding ground for wildfire. So as an insurance underwriter, insurers are looking at that exposure is too great. Therefore, they are going to charge higher rates. Well, if you're earning, the, the cost of living in California is already high, right? And we know that wages do not match up. Notice we say wages, not salary. There is a difference, right? Uh, so wages do not match up. And consequently, people are earning less than they should. And what happens to those people? What happens to people who lose their home? You, their, their apartment building burns down. And you know what's the worst part? You lose your job because the job that you were working at the McDonald's or the job you were working at the residential facility or the office building, that job also evaporates because the building is burned down. And the employer who might have had insurance on himself, he takes the insurance money and he's like, forget this. I don't need this. I can do better, right? I don't have to do this. The risk and the exposure is too great. So what we're finding is that there is a gap in California caused by the wildfires. And I, I'm not kidding you. I don't want to, you know, it's, this is not a conspiracy theory kind of thing where people say, well, they did something to Katrina to drive black people out and poor people out of, uh, what was that, uh, Louisiana, out of New Orleans. That's not the same thing here. Wildfires have been happening in California for decades now. And it is something that somehow they seem not to be able to contain. So I was reading this New York Times article, and in the article, they present and posit that uh, people who are wealthy are able to insure their homes, and sometimes when they collect the insurance money, they're able to build better homes that are more fire resistant, which makes, I'll come back to that because you and I are wondering why the homes were just burning anyway, (laughs) right? And so they're able to recover more quickly than people who don't have money. For instance, I was reading one article where people, somebody, their house, they lost their house, their home. They decided to rebuild on the same lot. Sometimes people even buy a bigger lot. They decided to build on the same lot. And in building on the same lot, what happened was they were able to uh, present, they got the million-dollar payout. But to build the home of their dreams, they spent another million out of pocket. They consider themselves very blessed. Then there's the opposite end of the spectrum. This woman was living in a cabin that she couldn't afford to insure. You know, she had a little job at the residential facility. She couldn't afford to insure her cabin. And so when the fire came, it incinerated a whole town. And she lost her cabin. And she also lost her job. She had to go back home. Her whole life upended. She broke up with her boyfriend, and she had to go back home to her state, her home state of Georgia, to, to restart. These are the, this is what we're talking about, the wealth gap. On the one end of the spectrum, you had this couple who could rebuild and could rebuild with the money they had, right, and build a substantial home with the money they had. And at the other end of the spectrum, you had this, this woman who had to go back home to Georgia because she couldn't afford to, to rebuild because she couldn't afford to insure her cabin. 
Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, was this designed to happen this way or was this just a casualty? I mean, don't get me wrong, the wildfires are no respect to a person. When it comes, it just burns everybody's house down. I mean, LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger took to Twitter to tweet that they had to be evacuated from their homes because of the wildfires. And they were driving around looking for a hotel to stay because of, you know, especially LeBron James with his family. Uh, And it makes you wonder, but they didn't lose their homes. So there are a couple of things that come to my mind, for instance. I'm like, then what kind of houses are you building in California? Because it seems to me, uh, in reading this article, the homes that are rebuilt are safer and more fire resistant. So you're telling me you could have built that from the beginning, (laughs) right? Did you just build a home, a house made of cinder blocks with paper cardboard walls? It's something that we in the United States have to think about because our homes are not as strong as they should be. I lived in Orlando, Florida, and I remember uh, they had modified after Hurricane Andrew, I think it was, in 1992, they had modified the existing uh, construction so that people, you could, it had more straps to hold the roof down. But if the house still went up in six months. How can you build a house in six months and that's a house? You, you know what I mean? And, I'm, and I was still like, I was amazed that the way they build houses in America, the way houses are built, they're not real. So a wind comes and it can topple over because the houses are not made of cement. They're not made of cement block with reinforced steel and concrete. Where I come from in the Caribbean, houses are solid. They're not made of, you know, paper. The, a retaining wall, a wall inside the house is not made of paper. You see what I'm saying? It's made of reinforced concrete blocks. You know, they use cement to make blocks and then they mix the concrete and pour it into the blocks with steel to reinforce the structure. Consequently, it takes an earthquake to destroy that, and a very strong earthquake, no less, right? It's much like how the towers are built. Really tall buildings are probably built better than houses, because in order for them to move, they use steel pipes to hold them up, and they, they also use concrete to hold them up, right? So they're built better, than, uh, than, than, than houses. And I'm saying all of that because whilst it's a commentary to look at the wealth gap, right? Whilst it's, it's just, but it's someone's life. And I'm saying to folks, before you get on a plane, pack up everything you have and move to Southern California, know what you're being exposed to because a lot of people See, I'm going to L.A. because the weather is better, especially folks from the Midwest, <laughs> right, and the northern part of the country. Well, there are more opportunities there. Chances are I can get a job there. The economy has changed in America. It's not what it used to be. And what it is now is that we're, econ- we're an economy, and we're, we've become a society where money matters more than it did. It's almost like in progressing, we sort of regress because now – where going back to me, it's, it's kind of scary to think about the days of the Industrial Revolution where people could be bought and sold and people's bodies were commodified because you have no value, because you don't have. The moral code of the society has changed. 
and I know a lot of you are saying, but Harry, it's just simply economics. Well, move to California and then tell me I could move to California because I couldn't afford it. I could not pay those stupendous insurance rates. And to buy a house there and to pay those rates is astronomical. Why would I want to do that? First of all, I like California. I don't like the wildfires. I don't like the earthquakes. I can't live in that kind of uncertainty. I don't care how great the weather is. When I want great weather, I go south to Georgia, you know, Florida or something like that. Take a break for a while. I don't have to live in it all year round. But at the same time, there is this huge wealth gap that is exemplified and typified by the wildfires. And I've, I, it has come to my attention because I've been thinking about it. What happens to all those people whom you see lined up who are living in shelters? Where do you go after that? Because when the wildfire comes through an area, your job is gone. So if you have no job, you have no ability to recover, right? And people are losing their homes and their way of life. Many people have had to uproot and go back home. I've seen people, I have a relative, for instance, who moved from Los Angeles, she and her husband and their kids. They moved from LA back to Georgia because they felt like it it didn't make sense. She said, I couldn't do it anymore. She says the wildfires were too much and one close call was enough, put the house on the market, sold it, moved to Georgia, and boom, they're out of there. They're like, I don't have to worry about anything. Maybe a little snow, great, right? But the point is, is how it highlights this, 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 this wealth gap. And it's something to think about because when you think about it, how do people survive? I've been asking myself this question. All those folks, all the images I've seen of people lined up in shelters, right, Uh, And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? Because you can't stay in the shelter forever, but you don't have a home to go back to. What are you going to do? And it also makes you wonder, did these folks not know that the wildfires were coming? Or did they think that this year, by the luck of God, that it would have passed them by? It's something to think about. It's something that you have to think about. I mean, here in Michigan, I worry about ice and snow. I worry that I pray that it doesn't snow too much. You don't want it to be too heavy on your roof. But then you think that your roof is uh, built for it. You don't want too much snow because then when it starts melting in the spring, then, you know, there's the opportunity for flooding. But then you can call the plumber and do a road rooting thing, I think, right? So, and I don't live in a flood-prone zone. There are other folks who have to worry about that. We might have a problem next spring because the lakes are already very high. So the people who live in lakeside areas and lakefront areas might have to watch that next spring here in in the Great Lakes because the lakes are already cresting. And if we have a heavy snow season, when the snow melts, then the, the lakes are going to be higher. So some folks may have to watch that. But then again, that too is going to typify the wealth gap because the people who live close to, well, to, to lakefront areas are typically wealthier. But what about the people who live a mile in if the waters come in? Do you see what I'm saying? Because the way insurance is written, it's not written in our favor. It's written in the favor of the insurance company. They want, because they're taking and absorbing the risk, they want as much money. So how much they take in compared to how much they take out, please. That really is the issue, isn't it? How much money do they make? Insurance companies are wealthy for a reason. 
I've worked in insurance as an underwriter, so trust me. When I say that insurance companies are not in the business of losing money, they make money. So they look at a risk, and they're going to charge you based on the risk. But what is happening to these folks? And I, for the life of me, I never imagined that you could live in an area that is prone to uh, wildfires and not be insured. I, I could not imagine that. I could not, because I wondered, I was wondering about that. I'm like, what's going to happen? So what happened? I, I never imagined that. But now I'm reading stories where people say that actually happened. One, like I told you the story about the woman who lived in a cabin that was uninsured. And then the wildfire came, burnt the whole town down. So she lost her job and lost the cabin that she lived in. What about people who have to use all their life savings, all their savings to just get through one wildfire? So you have fifteen, twenty thousand dollars saved up and a wildfire comes. Yeah, you have some insurance, but you have to use that twenty thousand dollars to just survive and hope that next year you don't have another wildfire. By the time the insurance is settled and you rebuild, what where do you live in the meantime? How do you survive? This is the thing. So even if the insurance company it's going to pay you. Where do you live in the time period between the time that you file the claim and the time that you get the money to start rebuilding? You've got to live somewhere. What does that take? Money. My friends, it's all about the Benjamins. It's all about the Benjamins. We all have to go get that money, right? So because it, it, this is telling us, if nothing else, it's telling us, what is happening in, and it's exa- it, it, it's across the country, wherever there are extremes in catastrophes. This is why when scientists talk about climate change, we should pay some attention because they're not just mouthing off on stuff. It, it's not just something that you should dismiss. There's a science to it. The science is not lying, right? There is something. I lived in Montego Bay, Jamaica. And there was a beach not far from my house that we used to frequent, myself and my then, my ex-husband. And we used to go to this beach, and it was nice and approachable, right? And about a year later, when we revisited that same beach, we noticed that we couldn't get to the sand because the water had come in. And the water had come in over the sand, so now that place was no longer seawater. Like, seriously. So we moved a a little further up. Well, the following year, the same thing happened because, you know, during the cooler months of the year, you don't go to the beach. You tend to go to the beach from May onwards and I or April or something like that. And I kid you not, that's when I first became aware that something was going on that was causing the seas to rise. At that time, I just thought it was the seas rising. You know, I attributed it to that. Then I moved to Florida and I had my first experience with a wildfire. It was the year Florida was burning, mid-Florida was burning. I think it was 1999 or something. And I was like, are you kidding me? Seriously? (laughs) Like I came all the way from the Caribbean to come here and end up in a wildfire. This has got to be epic. And I remember what it did passing through that wildfire. It was so hot that summer that Florida literally started burning. And they couldn't contain it. Firefighters couldn't contain it because it started in the forest. And at one point, they were dredging uh, St. John's River to take the water out to flush the fires out. And it was so dry that the embers contributed 
you know, the wind picked up and blew the embers. It was crazy. And you could see the smoke from our house. I remember we had to go out and what we did was we took the hose and watered, you know, you, you wet your roof down and wet your house down. I remember thinking the first thing I needed to do was consult my insurance policy, make sure that <laughs> it covered damage, right? And the things that also emerged from it were, were animals, the snakes and the alligators and so on. Where, what happened to them? Well, that was just a sidebar. I mean, the alligators were in the lakes. It was very hot. You could see the alligators jumping in the lakes. I was like, this is too wild for me. I think it was at that point I became aware that I probably would not enjoy living in Florida for much longer <laughs> because it was just crazy. I mean, that was a little bit too much on the Riviera for me, right? And so as time went on, you began to see that there there must be something. There, there must be something connected to this. And how is this repaired? Well, there is no recovery. Once you you live in a flood-prone zone and your house is lost, if it's not insured, you're not going to get anything. You, if you don't have the means to rebuild your house, then you're not going to recover. You have to move somewhere else, start all over again. Those kinds of life events produce a certain kind of trauma to people. To be upended and uprooted is not a nice thing. Most of us pray for stability all the time so that then we work hard to ensure that we can maintain our lifestyles. One of the things that happened to me over the years was I became more and more earnest in making sure I had a home and owning a home. I didn't care where it was. I don't care where it's located, just a home, because you don't want, if something happens like you lose a job, then you don't want to be displaced. And so many people are living in apartments, right? And and people are not thinking it through, you're spending $1,100, $1,200 a month, $900 a month on apartment living, plus you have to pay fees for parking. And because you want to live in a desirable area because you work and maybe your other friends do it and or your friends do it, and you want you spend so much money in doing that, whereas you probably would have a longer commute if you just bought a cheaper car. And then have a longer commute and buy a house somewhere else that is going to cost you way less. Another place that this significantly happens is in San Francisco. The average income around there is almost a million dollars. If you're not turning over a million dollars, you can't live there. So it's not unusual to find people live as far out as 60 miles away and commute to work in San Francisco because they can't afford to live in the city. The wealth gap is widening, widening and widening. In the 19, after World War II, it narrowed. And we got to a place up until the 1970s where it was okay, but then it started to creep in the 1980s. I read a report recently that wages have not increased since 1971 to match the pace of inflation. That's significant to look at. So you're, we're not earning as much to match inflation. And if you don't believe me, just go to the grocery store. And check out how much you're spending for groceries as opposed to what you spent last year and the year before and the year before. It's ever increasing, but we're not earning enough to match it. Nobody is giving you an increase of 5% every year 
Nobody is giving you an increase. And don't go crazy on me and say, oh, well, I don't know what you work in. You probably are part of the 1% of the population. So congratulations and good for you. But for most people, most people are one paycheck away from disaster. I, I look at people all the time and you go and you take out this car note that's costing you four or $500 a month and you think you're living, right? And you are living in an apartment that is costing you upwards of nine, ten, nine hundred to a thousand a month, eleven hundred a month, plus your car note, plus your car insurance, and you're adding all of that up out of what you earn, and you take home thirty-five hundred dollars a month. You can't save anything to pay down on a house. What if you lose your job? What are you going to do? Where's the equity that you need to build so you have some stability later on in life? Do you see what I'm saying? We need to rethink. A generation ago, they didn't care about zip codes. What they cared about is having somewhere to live so when they retired, they didn't have to pay rent. In some urban areas like Detroit and and other urban areas, with crime, people were driven out of the city. And so you find retired folks who had almost paid off their mortgages, gave up because they couldn't stand the crime and moved into areas where they either had to take out a new mortgage or they had to rent somewhere. And the lifestyle they imagined they would have had on retirement does not exist because of crime. Our society is changing. It's almost as if we're going through a silent revolution. It's underfoot. You can feel it and it shakes you. And I'm saying to all of us, if you haven't started saving We need to start aggressively saving because you just never know what can happen and you don't want to be displaced. You don't want to be to find yourself with nothing, right? A friend of mine worked for the state and retired recently and she was giving thanks because now that she's retired, she has time to think. And when she thinks about, she's saving more money now retired because it's not costing her to, you know, go to work every day. So the gas is less not buying as, not eating out as much, right? And of course, to dress up and go to work, replenishing your wardrobe consistently. So she's saving more. So her retirement pension is actually bolstering her. So she feels better about it. And I know a few seniors who are like that. You know, they're retired, they're making money, they're getting their pensions, and they just live a normal, sedate life, Right? We have to think. And if you're in California, my heart goes out to you. If you're in Southern California, my heart goes out to you in a way that you cannot begin to imagine. And if you've ever been in a disaster zone, especially a weather catastrophe, something that is outside of your control, it wasn't you who caused it, it was the weather. Whether it was a hurricane or it was an earthquake or it was a flood, whatever it was, Something happened that has caused you to be displaced. Trust me, I totally, totally pray for you because this is something that no one needs at any time in their lives. I don't, I don't like it. That, you know, you like to think, okay, so I haven't, you start taking the boxes off. So I have insurance for that. I have insurance for that. I have a little put away for that. But at the same time, who needs that? Who needs those things to be wiped away? Do you see what I'm saying? We don't earn enough to make it right? I'm, I'm kind of just like, in thinking about the subject matter, it's kind of a serious subject matter, but I feel like I had to insert some humor so we all don't go, oh my God, oh my God. 
because this is something to think about. What about all those folks? So if you see across social media, I'm not talking about fake pages, but if you see some sort of uh, ad to help victims of fires in Southern California, I should look at it, look into it, because a lot of this is it's real. What happens to these folks? How do they recover? Like, seriously, what if it were you? How would you recover if you had to lose your home and lose everything that goes with it? How do you recover? What do you say to yourself? What do you say to folks? It's the craziest thing. I have never seen anything quite like it. I don't understand it myself. I I don't quite get how this could have been a reality for all of us. It's we live in a day and time when weather catastrophes are going to become more than normal. For the life of me, I fail to see why nobody gets climate change. Uh, Because maybe they went a little bit overboard with it. But the reality of the situation is that this is happening. And if you don't believe me, I want you to look at migratory patterns the world over. If you notice, people in the southern part of the world, from Africa and so on, uh, are uh, are thing people thank you so much from from but what was pushing war it was lack of economic impetus right lack of economic infrastructure well a lot of it was also caused by decades of drought so people have no money no no water they have no means to keep the land going right they have no infrastructure economic infrastructure to take the natural resources out of the land to create sustainable economies so people started migrating and they're moving to the northern parts of the world because it's almost as if you can feel that that those areas where they live is heating up and it's getting warmer and warmer. The, 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 the planet is getting warmer and warmer. And a lot of it is just caused by what? You're not going to believe it. Our modern lifestyle, <laughs> right? When we turn our heat, our air conditioners on, when we drive our cars, right? Right? And when we turn our furnaces on to keep our homes warm, it's emitting gases that go up in the atmosphere, and that is what is causing the climate, the, the, the planet, to warm up. In causing the planets to warm up, we who live in the northern hemisphere are faring better because we cool down. So at certain times of the year, cyclically, we uh, develop and achieve different seasons that rotate between spring, summer, fall, autumn, and winter. Well, in other parts of the world, it's summer all the time. And we used to think it was idyllic because, you know, you could just live in a constant summer phase. Well, sucks to be, to, to, to be, to, to be us, but those folks are not living the dream because they ha- they're deprived. They live in depraved, you know, depraved circumstances. They don't have water. They don't have access to running water. They don't have access to clean air because in some of those places, they practice what is called slash and burn agriculture where they chop down trees and so on to burn, to burn, to create fuel. You know what it is, right? And that destroys the ecosystem. You uproot the trees so the soil has nothing to hold on to. 
So if you don't have trees, you're not going to have precipitation. You're not going to have rain. And they engage in tribal wars. Oh, I call it tribal war. It's tribal wars because it's ridiculous and stupid. You know, you're fighting over something that probably happened 100 years ago, and you're fighting over something that is not even significant or relevant. You're all in poverty, and you need to figure out how to move together as a group, and instead you're fighting tribal warfare. And so these places are, have been in wars for decades. People can't live there anymore. So people start moving forward, right? And that is, uh, and that is what is driving a lot of that, that migratory patterns that they're moving to the Northern Hemisphere. And eventually, over time, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, they will integrate, right? It takes a while. Integration is, is, is not quick. Integration is something that takes a while, and then they will integrate and blend in. But here in America, we have our own situation. We are looking at something happening in California, a wild wildfires that are completely out of control, that are having real-time impacts on people's lives. People don't know what to do. People don't have any means of recovery. Even if the government were going to give you $500, what can that do to your, to your life? How is that going to start life? When you live in an area that the town is completely burnt out, so your job is gone. The jobs are gone. So the only people who can afford to return to those places are people who are wealthy. The insurance companies make a big check. They can go back and build a house and start life over again, building more fire-resistant things. Which brings me to the next point. Why do we build houses that are not fire-resistant when you live in a fire zone? In California, for instance, in, the Sonoma, in Sonoma County, that's the wine country. Seriously? Like, seriously. And I know that things happen and so on, but, like, seriously, it's very expensive to live there. And I imagine now there's going to be a, a reverse kind of migration of people who are going to go back home because, luckily, you probably had mom and dad or grandma and grandpa or an aunt and uncle whom you have no choice but to go back to wherever you came from to live again, to start again. Because after losing your job, you just didn't have anywhere to stay. It was either that or be homeless. So after these wildfires, how many people do you think are going to be homeless? People literally just took what they could, pack it in a car, and drove for their lives. A lot of people woke up the next morning, and they started thinking, man, if this is going to happen, I have just this much. How much is the insurance company going to give me? I'm out of here. I'm going to go start life in, in, in Montana, Wyoming, <laughs> where all I have to worry about are beers in the backyard and stuff like that. <laughs> move to you know Colorado or something. People are going to move away from California because it's getting dangerous to live there. It is absolutely getting dangerous. Dangerous in the sense that if you're not wealthy, you can't live in California. That's what it is turning out to be. You have to be wealthy to live there especially in Southern California. Now, if you go to other parts of California, Sacramento is beautiful. I like it. It's nice and green and, you know. And while Southern California has appealing weather, you've got to be wealthy to live there. So people might either move further north or move out of the state entirely. And that says a lot. But what kind of technology, what can we do to stop wildfires? I am not sure. I don't have the answer to that. 
I'm trying to figure it out because I'm trying to understand what causes them in the first place. Because I'm looking at the scenery and I'm like, why in 20 years you've not learned to plant green trees? <laughs> you know what I mean? Why haven't you planted trees that is going to create precipitation and attract and cause rain to happen? If you don't have trees, you're not going to get any rain. You need trees to, 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 to encourage the root to build into the roots that is going to emit photosynthesis. Anybody remember that? So that you can have precipitation fall. So when the winds from the ocean interact with the trees on the land, you're going to have some kind of effect. Why are we not building trees in California? Did we just want to look at the bare mountains and not think that something was going to happen? I don't know. And I know in some areas of uh, California, they encourage a certain amount of shrubbery to be on the ground as it, it de depletes the, uh, it reduces the ability to, you know, the chances that you'll have wildfires. I'm tired. My brain is running 100 miles a minute. I have another appointment today. I have to go to Flint in a few hours, in just a few. And then I have to go to, then I have another event back here in Metro Detroit tonight. So, but do you see what I'm saying? So when you think about it, it makes you think and it's making you stop and wonder what on earth is going on? Because why is it that we can't seem to have a handle on these wildfires? With all the technology that we supposedly have, why can't we stop wildfires? What is it that we can't stop wildfires? Why? I know that people start fires and you're all looking at me like, hey, don't act like you don't know. People do start fires, but the conditions had to exist for the fire to ignite, right? So somebody can, you know, throw out a cigarette butt, but if the dry ground and the dry brush is not there, then the fire won't start. Why do we continue to have wildfires? Is it that people just want, there are so many houses, people just want to live on the hillside and enjoy the mountain view, enjoy the view of the ocean, but you've got to have soil. And you got to have trees to hold the soil in place. And if you have trees, then you're going to have precipitation, so you'll have rain. Years ago, I remember there had been talk about using seawater. I think they still do that in some parts of California, especially farmers, right? It's the desalination process where the salt is extracted from the seawater, so they're able to use it for farming and watering and so on. And I'm like, you have that big, great ocean out there, and you all haven't thought about piping the water in? Years ago, they wanted to build a pipeline from the Great Lakes to California. I'm like, no, you don't. We're not going to sanction that. Huh? Then you drain our lakes, and then we have a drought, and then we don't have any water to sustain ourselves because you drain our water. Hell to the no. No, go plant some trees over there. Dig out the ground and let the water start falling in there until it becomes a lake and see how quickly it will change your ecosystem. A lot of it has to do with our own attitudes <coughs> to, excuse me, towards preservation. We spend so much time preserving uh, wildlife, we forgot to preserve the ground for human life. You know, sometimes you have to, you look at the preservation of animals, but you have to put it within context. The context is that anything that is going to uh, escape uh, uh, human life has to be re-examined. If it's going to proliferate more than human life, you have to rethink that. So they went to great lengths to talk about we have to preserve the whales and the sea. Well, the whales were never going anywhere, if you really thought about it. 
nobody thought about preserving the land so that the land could be tenable for human life. Nobody thought about the humans who would inhabit the land and stain their houses. Can you believe what it must be like to be awakened by fire siren and to be told you had to put everything you own in this little bag and run for your life? And when you look back, all you can see is your home is burning. Imagine what it must be like for people to be so traumatized, to drive down the 405 and have to drive through fires on the right, fires on the left, fire in the median. I drove through a wildfire in, 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 in Orlando, Florida, from uh, interstate, just off I-95 in Daytona Beach through Interstate 4 through to Orlando. And I have never forgotten what that felt like. I can just imagine what those people felt like. And so I say to all of us, it's time for us to re-examine what this is causing. It is highlighting this that we never thought about. What happens to people who don't have a million dollars, who could not afford to pay their insurance? What happens to all those seniors who retired and moved to California and lost their homes, lost their retirement savings because you try to live? What happens to all those folks? It has created a wealth gap. And eventually California is going to be a land just for the rich. And the rest of the folks will just have to take a sideline and go live in uh, Washington State or uh, Oregon somewhere. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Maybe they'll have to build uh, greater freeways. Right? And the bullet train like the one they have in Tokyo. So you can live in Oregon but work in California. They take the bullet train back home and Instead of it taking you a whole entire 12 hours or 14 or 16 hours, it takes you two hours to get there. I don't know if that's where it's going, but it is significant. People in California are paying the price in Southern California. Send up a prayer for those folks. And if you know someone, if you are related to someone who is caught up in that wildfire, extend your home to them and tell them maybe it's time you rethink this. Because guess what? Nothing is going to change significantly in the next three years. So there's going to be another wildfire next year and one the year after that and the year after that. You might as well just go back and start all over again. It is what it is, starting over. All of us have been there. We've all been there, right? I'm going to share the link to the New York Times article. Read it. It is quite the thing. And for those of us who live in these areas, I send prayers out for everybody. Just take care of yourself, folks. Take care of yourself. It's going to be okay. I promise you, it's going to be okay. You may just have to make some hard, tough decisions about starting over, but it's going to be okay, right? My name is Harry Kimmick. Thank you so much for joining us on Down to Earth. Make sure you come back and join me again. In the meantime, go subscribe to our podcast. Hey, y'all, download and subscribe to my podcast, huh? Go listen to the other stuff we talk about. I know there are some shows that you haven't heard and you haven't listened to, we're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Uh, they sent me another one, Spreacher, uh, Overcast, Radio Public. Is it Radio Public? Radio Public. Uh, there are eight platforms. So download and subscribe to our podcast and listen to us. Continue to support us. We're a listener-supported event. So when you listen to us, we invite you to go to my page, and you can make a donation to keep us on the air. We're a listener-supported program. 
Thank you so much, everybody. It's my pleasure. Wish me well. Got some stuff to do today. We're going to go see the great city of Flint. How about that? Flint, Michigan. We're going up there in just a few minutes. Thank you so much, everybody. Be blessed.